I want to take a minute and welcome those of you who are joining us downstairs in the cafe. Hello, glad you're here. Those who join us online, love the fact that you're here. We've been in a series, the book of James, been an awesome series, and we just celebrated 4th of July. How many of you are glad we live in a free country? Let me hear you. Anybody? Yeah, okay. So... Hopefully your 4th of July celebrations were awesome. Uh, One of the things that we would say is this, is that one of the foundations to our freedom is that many people would say is that we're a country that somehow is a country built on faith. And so what we would say as a country is, is that the majority of people, the majority of people in our country would say they are people of faith. The majority of people would say, I'm a person of faith, but the problem is this, our country, even though majority would say that there are people of faith, we're in a crisis of faith. Right now, this moment, our country is in a crisis of faith. You're saying, what's the crisis? Crisis is this, is that we live in a country where people are looking for a faith that works. They're actually looking for a spirituality that's going to make a difference. They're they're looking for something more than religion. They're looking for a relationship that's going to leave an impact. Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you this as a fact. Survey statistics point this out, that young adults are leaving the church across our country, leaving churches across our country. And the reason they're leaving churches across our country is that they no longer, you ready? No longer want a religion that just makes a point. They're looking for a spirituality that makes a difference. You see, they they said, I've gone to a religion, I've gone to a service, it's hollow. What I'm looking for is something that's going to make a difference. That's why we're in the book of James, because the book of James is all about a spirituality that makes a difference. It's about a faith that works. It's about a faith that works when times are tough. It's about a faith that works in the middle of my temptations. It's about a faith that works like a bicycle. It listens, and it does. It's about a faith that works because it shows up in how I walk. It's a faith that works because it shows up in how I talk. And James, this, this half-brother of Jesus, the original skeptic, is talking to us about a spirituality that makes a difference, not simply a religion that makes a point. And what he wants to talk to us today about is something very, very important, because it's something every last one of us in this room needs, and yet none of us can buy. He wants to talk to us about something that, that many people today would claim to have and yet very few obtain. What he wants to talk to us about today is something that our world, our country desperately needs. And yet the evidence shows it's missing in our world, in our country. He wants to talk to you about something today that will improve your relationships, it will modify your marriage, it will help your family. It'll reorder your business relationships. It'll even change the way you and I make decisions. What James wants to talk to us about today is this, is that a faith that works will show up in a wisdom that's real. Listen close. He wants to tell us this, that when you and I get a faith that works, it's going to show up in a wisdom that is a real wisdom. That's why he says what he says. If you have your Bibles open or you can follow on the screens, look how he starts this section. He starts it with a question. He says, hey, so imagine James is here talking to us as a church. He asks a question. Hey, who is wise and understanding among you? Like he's asking a question, right? He's like, hey, out there, who, who is wise and understanding? Now, the, the question might be answered in two different ways. Some of you might be like, well, I think I am, and you'd raise your hand, right? And I think James would say, okay, disqualified, right? And then others of you, maybe you'd begin thinking about who's wise and understanding among us, and you'd begin thinking who the wise people in your life are. You see, James is wanting us to think who's wise and understanding, much like the two guys who want it to be wise, I don't know if you heard about these two guys. They wanted to be wise, and so what they decided to do is go to a seminar because they're going to become wise. They're going to figure out how to get, ready, how to get their wife to do everything they want her to do, right? Amen? Anybody want to go? Don't raise your hand. I'm saying, but they're going to go to this seminar, and they go to this seminar because they're going to figure out how to be wise husbands because I'm going to get my wife. I got some of y'all's husband's attention right now. I'm going to figure out how to get my wife to do everything I want her to do. They got back from the seminar. They met up a week later, and they kind of exchanged notes, right? And the one guy said, hey, how's it going? Three days later, he said, well, the first day I didn't see much. Second day, I didn't see much. But the third day, I started to see some changes around our house, and the things are working pretty good. He said, how about you? How are things going? He said, well, the first day, I didn't see much. 
The second day, I didn't see much. And the third day, I could see out of my right eye just a little bit, he said, is what I could see, right? You see, here's the deal. James wants you to know something. Not everybody who thinks they're wise is wise. Not everybody who would say they're wise is really wise. Not everybody who's smart, not everybody who knows a lot is actually wise. That's why James says what he says. Next, look at what he says next. If you ever Bible's just look, he says, if you think you're wise in understanding, let that person show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Listen, what's James saying? He's saying that wisdom doesn't just speak up, it shows up. He's saying wisdom isn't just lip service, it's a lifestyle. James is saying that wisdom is a lot more than just knowing stuff. It's living life. James wants us to know that wisdom is more than getting old. Sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm older and wiser, not necessarily. I know people that grow older and not wiser. Wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just degrees on the wall. Wisdom is not just having a gift or skill. Wisdom is not just the ability to pass the test, get a 34 in your ACT. Wisdom is way more than that. Every wise man that ever lived had knowledge, but not every man who had knowledge was wise. And that's what James wants us to know, is that somehow wisdom is something that shows up and he says it shows up, look at your Bibles, he show, it shows up by their good life and by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, we got to go somewhere here, okay? You, you got to go down in the deep end, we'll pop back up. But James says, wisdom shows up in a good life. Now, now look here a second. Here's why this is important. James could have chose two words here. He could have chose two words to describe a good life. The first word in the Greek, you can forget this, is the word agathos. You can forget that. But it simply is a, a, a word that means this moral, upright person. And so he could have said, wisdom shows up in a moral, upright person, right? But, but, but then he, he didn't decide to use that word. Instead, he picked a word that was full of color and robust and kind of exploded with meaning. So instead of agathos, James decides to use the word kalos. You can forget that, but here's what he says. Just let this kind of ring. He says, wisdom shows up in a life that's beautiful, attractive, and lovely, and inspires those around it to be beautiful, lovely, and attractive. And he says that beauty kind of pops out when, when all of a sudden that person does good deeds in humility. What in the world is humility? Write this down somewhere. It's being self-controlled and others-centered. Humility is being self-controlled and others-centered. Humility is not thinking less of you. It's thinking of you less. And he says that wisdom, when, when will I know I'm meeting somebody who's wise? It's when I run into somebody who has a beautiful life. In fact, I want you to write it this way. Wisdom, wisdom shows up in a beautiful life that leaves a lasting impact on others. That's the sermon in a sentence right there. This is what James is trying to say. Wisdom shows up in a beautiful life that leaves a lasting impact on others. Wisdom is attractive Wisdom is beautiful. Wisdom is something that, that plays out in our relationships. Look here a second. I want to explain this to you. Wisdom has the ability to connect the dots. So wisdom can take truth and knowledge and connect the dots, listen, in my relationships. If you want to know where true, godly Wisdom shows up, it shows up in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriage, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your group, on your team. Wisdom can connect the dots and it shows up in my relationships. Wisdom isn't just knowing all the right things to do. Wisdom is the ability to bring that into my relationships in a way that kind of shares beauty in the middle of those relationships. I can tell you don't totally get what I'm saying. Let me show you some pictures. First is this. Raise your hand if you know what everything in this slide is. Just raise your hand if you know what everything is, okay? If you don't, let me explain. On the left, we have a hammer, right? On the right top, we have some nails. On the bottom, we have some lumber. Look here a second. I know what every last one of those things is. I actually know how to use those things, right? And yet, here's what I will tell you. If you want me to somehow connect those three things to build this 
you got the wrong guy in mind. Amen? Like, I'll tear down anything you want torn down. But to build something, to the ability to connect, I know what a hammer is. You're like, well, don't you know what a hammer and nails are? I know. Don't you know what lumber is? I know. But the ability to connect what I know so that it becomes something beautiful is something that is outside of my ability. Let me show you another picture. Look at these three things. On the left, we have a what? A piano. On the right, we have a picture of yours truly. And down at the bottom, we have a, a little a sheet of music with notes on it, right? My mama wanted to connect these dots right here. Amen. When I was in the fourth grade, mom said, Dan, I think it'd be a good idea you take some piano lessons. I said, well, I don't know, mom, what's entailed in piano lessons? Well, that means you're going to have to practice, she said. So you're going to have to practice every day and go to lessons every day. I said, I'd give it a try. And so I gave it a try. I took piano lessons for four months. This is no lie. Went through three teachers. Four months went through three teachers. <laughs> yeah. And so here's what happened. By about the third month into this thing, I'm in the fourth grade. Fourth grade's putting on a talent show. They found out I was taking piano lessons. They said, Danny, would you play the piano in our talent show? I'm like, you bet I will, man. I got the red book. I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to play the piano. Mom and dad were so proud. My mom's like, he's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Here's the deal. In taking piano lessons, all I really knew was that you had to get your fingers set in the right place when you started. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's something that has to do with middle C or something like that, right? And I brought in the red book, and I said, which of these songs do you want me to play? They said, we want you to play Home, Home on the Range. You know that song where the buffalo roam and all that kind of stuff? I said, I got it, right? Just get the hands in the right spot. I'm good to go. Home, Home on the Range, right? I get there. I'm kind of nervous because, man, now there's an audience. Mom's back there like, I think my boy is going to be a piano player, right? And she's listening. I set my red book up there. I got so nervous. The lights hit me. I got my fingers about three keys over this way, right? I played something that just sounded like nothing like Home, Home on the Range, man. Everybody's like clapping. You're so good. My dad. It's like, what was that? You was playing, right? You see, my mama wanted to connect these dots, never could. I never turned into this guy you see next on the slide. I never turned in that. My mom wanted me to. See, it's one thing to know what a piano is. It's another thing to even know what the notes are. I could even tell you the notes back then. I couldn't now. I could tell you what the notes were. But to bring those things together, to create something beautiful, that is something different. Some of you don't resonate with music. You might resonate with this. On the left, we have a basketball. Raise your hand if you know what that is. Yeah, right? I know it's sore. We're sad, right? LeBron's gone. I get it, right? But on the right, we have a basketball court. Down here in the bottom, we have basketball players. I purposefully didn't put real people up there. Because here's what you know. If you're a basketball fan, I'm talking to some of you now. You have watched teams that have a bunch of great athletes Great basketball players. They know what a basketball is. They know what a court is. The rim is 10 feet high. They know all of that stuff. But you know when you watch a team where there's somebody who has the ability to connect all the dots together so that these great athletes aren't just five great athletes on the court, but they become this team. And when they become this team, this thing of beauty melts together and they might win something that looks like this, right? You see, that's all James is saying. He's saying that real wisdom has the ability to connect the dots. To connect the dots of truth, to connect the dots of biblical principles in the context of my relationships in a way that brings beauty. Listen, real wisdom doesn't show up on your wall with a degree. Real wisdom shows up in your relationships. That's what James is saying. He's saying it shows up in the relationships that I have. And so he asks the question, hey, hey, who's wise in understanding among you? Who of you has a beautiful life that's leaving a lasting impact? And the reason he asks the question is this, is because not all wisdom, you ready, is real wisdom. How many of you heard the term fake news? Raise your hand, right? We won't get into that. But what James wants you to hear today is there is such a thing as fake wisdom. And he says what you need to do is somehow spot in your life, am I somebody who has fake wisdom or do I have real wisdom? Well, how in the world do I spot the difference between fake wisdom and real wisdom? Well, James is going to spend the rest of his time helping us do that. 
Because in order for you and I to spot the difference between fake wisdom and real wisdom, I gotta know what it is, where it comes from, and what it produces. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Well, look at what he says next. He says this, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Look at what he says, such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Look here a second. I want to tell you something. What we need to do for the next few minutes, okay, next few minutes, is not, not just read the Bible. Not just read the Bible. But, but here's the way you approach the Bible. We need to let the Bible read us. And what James says is this, is that when I hold the Bible, God's word, up, he says, here's what fake wisdom looks like. And, and what he wants us to do, he's not picking, but he wants us to do, you ready? He wants us to look in the mirror and say, do you see yourself? Because if you see yourself in what he just described, maybe, just maybe, you've bought into this idea of fake wisdom. Well, what does he say about fake wisdom? I want you to write this down. He says, first and foremost, fake wisdom is self-absorbed. Fake wisdom is self-absorbed. Fake wisdom somehow thinks that life is all about me. Fake wisdom thinks that somehow I'm the sun and everybody else are the planets that revolve around me. Ready? Including God. And that somehow everyone else is here to serve my desires and my need, including God. That's why some of us in the room get frustrated at God. Because he doesn't do what we want, how we want, when we want. Because somehow we have bought into fake wisdom that says, it's all about me. I'm the center. I'm the most important. And when somehow I've bought into the fact that it's all about me, here's what happens. He says several things, four things. He said, first, I harbor bitter envy in my heart. We got to tear these apart. What's he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. When he uses this word bitter envy... This is literally what the word means because it helps me understand it. He uses some Greek words, and here's what it means. It means a zeal, that sounds good, that gets pricked. It's a zeal that gets pricked. What's he talking about? He's talking about a zeal that wants everything to be about me that gets pricked. He's saying that when I'm self-absorbed, you ready? You ready? I can't stand it when somebody else gets recognized or noticed. When I'm self-absorbed, I can't stand it when somebody else is the center of attention. So somehow I gotta crash the party. Somehow I gotta minimize their accomplishment. You ever been to a kid's birthday party, like like an eight-year-old kid? Some of you are smiling because your mom's like like it's Festus's birthday, right? And so you got a cake with Festus' name on it, he's got presents, but all of a sudden comes in one of his friends and he can't stand it that this party is all about Festus. You ever been there, right? He can't stand it, the cake doesn't have his name on it. He can't stand it, there aren't gifts for him. He can't stand it that nobody's singing to him. It's one thing when that happens to a six-year-old, right? But when all of a sudden that's something that happens in our relationships. And he says, what, what that indicates is somehow I've bought into this wisdom that says it's all about me. And so somehow I've got to undermine their accomplishments so that somehow I make it about me. And then he says that somehow it's not just bitter envy, but you see what he says? It's selfish, what? Ambition. What is that? It's just the ambition that's self-centered. This is an interesting word to me. Because this is a word in their culture, I'm not making this up, I, I, I couldn't make this up, that would have been used, this is interesting to me, that would have been used, ready, of politicians who will do anything to get elected. Can I get an amen on that, right? You see, we think, oh, things are today, and I can't believe, and there's nothing new under the sun, guys. And this word selfish ambition is, this, is a word that was used of a politician. I'll do whatever it takes to be elected. What is James saying? He's saying that somebody who's bought into fake wisdom makes it their life campaign to get your vote, to vote for me as the most important person in the world. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to somehow get your vote so that you'll recognize I am the most important person. I'll do whatever it takes so that you'll see me as the person who came in to save the day, the smartest guy in the room. I'm the guy who can fill in the blank. And then he says this. 
Ready? Ready? He says, bitter envy, hate it when other people are recognized. Selfish ambition, my life's campaign, get you to vote for me. And then he says they're arrogant. You know what arrogance is? Arrogance is just me parading my accomplishments so that you're convinced I'm the most important person in the room. Arrogance is just me making sure the conversation somehow turns. You ever been with somebody that every conversation somehow turns back to them? You ever been with somebody like that? Don't shake your head too much, right? See, that's what he's saying. It's somebody who's going to parade their accomplishments. That, that somehow they want to let you know everything they've done, all that they know. I mean, you ever been with a person and they want to tell you how many burpees they did in their CrossFit exercise? They're like, I really don't care. You know what I'm saying? How many books they read? I don't know. That's great. All the things they've accomplished, that's awesome. How much their kids know and how smart they really are. It's like, wow, what are they doing? They're parading their accomplishments. Why? Because I want you to know I'm the most important person in the room. And they've bought into fake wisdom. And then he says this. He says, not only are they arrogant, harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition, but then he says this, they deny the truth. What's he talking about there? Well, let me ask you a question. You ever been with somebody or around somebody who's never wrong, and when you point out something in their life, they always get defensive? Don't look at them. (laughs) You ever been with somebody like that? Like, no matter how true it is, they do not want to hear it. And that somehow they'll get passive-aggressive. Somehow they'll change the conversation. Somehow when they're confronted, they refuse to hear it. He says that person has bought into fake wisdom. Because that person somehow thinks it's all about them. And if it's all about me, I can't let it be all about you. And i got to somehow parade my accomplishments. And if somehow you confront me that I'm not really all that in a bag of chips, I'm going to deny the truth that you lay in front of me. Well, what's interesting is i got to ask myself this question. Like some of you are sitting here and I can see in your eyes. Some of you are like, because when that enters into a marriage, train wreck. When that enters into a family, train wreck. When that enters into friendships, train wreck. Can't be all about all of us, can it? And so James says, i got to figure out where is that coming from. And look what he says next. This is so, so key. He says, such wisdom, verse 15, doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look here a second. If you're in a room, this applies to every last one of us in the room. Every last one of us. I want to talk to several of you, though. If you're in the room and you're a teenager and a young adult, I need you to dial in right now. Because our culture is somehow messaging us and we're buying it. And what it's messaging us is this idea of fake wisdom. And James says it doesn't come from heaven. He says first it's earthly. What does he mean when he says it's earthly? That word simply means that it is minus God. It doesn't think about eternity. Here's what he's saying. Fake wisdom, I want you to write this down, comes from me being short-sighted. It means that I'm going to make decisions based on the here and now with no thought of the there and then. Maybe I ought to say that again. I'm going to make decisions based on the here and now, no thought of the there and then. That's what he's saying. And so I'm going to do whatever's easy I'm going to do, because I'm spontaneous, I'm going to do, but I'm not going to think about the there and then. Let me just get personal. Let me get personal. Okay? And I might be talking to some of you, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I will be. I sit with a lot of people, and and recently, within the last several months, I sat with a a couple that was married, and it was, they were having a very hard time. Very hard time. (laughs) And they had little children, Young, like pre, pre-elementary school. And what they said to me was this. They said, it's just easier. We're just going to part ways. This is too hard. I don't feel like going through the hard work. And so it's over. They're sitting in my office. Now, let me give you a heads up. If you ever come to my office with marriage trouble, I'm pro-marriage. So I'll try to find a way to help your marriage. And so I looked at them and I said, I get it. This is really bad. 
and you guys have been through a lot and hurt each other. But I ask him this question. I said, if you do what's easy and what you want to do right now, have you thought about what kind of conversation I might have with your children 10 years from now because of the decision that you want to make right now? Both of them popped their heads up, looked at me square in the eye, began to tear up. And they said, it never dawned on us how our decision here and now is going to affect the there and then. You see how that works? You see, when I make decisions in the moment, this is just easier. This is just what I want to do with no thought. It's earthly. It doesn't take into consideration God. It doesn't take into consideration that the decisions that I make this day are going to affect that day and the conversations I'm going to have on that day. And he said, it's fake wisdom. I'm just going to do what's easy. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Just live it up today. And then tomorrow comes, and it's like, oh, no. (laughs) And then he says it's unspiritual. What's he saying there? He used a very specific word there. And he's simply saying this, is that fake wisdom comes from being sensually driven. Sensually driven. Stay with me on this. Teenagers, young adults, really dial in. It means if it feels right, it must be right. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. It's, it's a decision-making process that says that I'm the center of the universe, and therefore I'm going to trust my feelings, and if it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it feels good, it must be right. If it feels good to me, then it's right for me. Listen close. If that's how you make decisions and live your life, I'm going to just tell you this. You can even sign my name to it. Your life will be a train wreck. Your relationships will be a train wreck. You know why? You know why? Because your feelings lie to you. Your feelings will and have lied to you. There is no one on the planet that's lied to you more than you. Think about that. Percolate on that. There's no one on the planet that's lied more to me than me. And not, listen, I'm, gonna talk, I'm just going to make a confession because some, some of you had too high a view of me, too high a view of me, so I'm going to just crash that right now. Let me just tell you, tell you about Dan. I, ready? I don't always feel like doing the right thing. There's a lot of times I don't feel like doing the right thing. If I did what I felt like doing, it wouldn't be the right thing. Now listen, and not every ready and not everything i feel like doing is right you saying why is this important because here's the deal our culture has bought into fake wisdom let me give you a for instance and this is just one so i get, I, I hang out with young adults and a lot of young adult people from the community i get a chance to talk to different people not just that come to our group but love it Here is a way our culture is selling us fake wisdom. Okay, you ready? Because this is how we make decisions, and this is how a lot of times people make decisions. You ready? I've got your attention now. This is how they make them sexually. You see, people come to me and say, Oh, Dan, it just feels right. It feels right, so it must be right, and God must want it to be right. Because it feels right. Certainly God agrees with my feelings, right? And guess who's God all of a sudden? Me and God come in line with my feelings. And so I'm going to make decisions sexually based on, it just feels so right between us. See what I'm saying? We're just getting real for a minute. If you got your kids in here, I apologize. I should have told you we're going to have this conversation, right? Great children's program downstairs, right? You see, when, when I make decisions that way, all of a sudden it's like sex with it just feels so right. Like, I think there's a song. How could something that feels so right be so wrong? Because here's the deal. Even something that feels right, feels good. When I look here, if, if I'm, ha- I'm just going to, I'll probably get an email on this. That's fine. Send it my way. I, I would tell you something. If I'm having sex outside of the covenant of marriage, one man, one woman, no matter how good it feels, how right it feels, he says, that was never my intention. And so if I'm having sex outside of the covenant of marriage, I'm saying, well, God, you need to get in line with how I feel and how our culture feels. You see what I'm saying? Just, it's fake wisdom. 
I know, I know, it's not, I see some, it's not popular. I got it. But somehow it's like, I'm the center of the universe and God, get in line with how I feel. It's like, God, I believe you are and I don't always feel like you say, but help me to get in line. I want to know. I want real wisdom. And, and then James just goes in the deep end. He says, hey, listen, it's short-sighted, it's sensually driven. And look what he says, it's demonic. I want you to write it this way. Fake wisdom comes from listening to Satan. Like this is Satan's MO. Satan's exit from heaven was ultimately surrounding the fact that he wanted to be the big deal. And when he exited heaven, he has spent his entire career getting people to believe they are the center of the universe. Even James's half-brother Jesus, he said it this way. Look what he says on the screen. He says, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's, it's consistent with his character. He's a liar, and he's the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Fake wisdom ultimately comes from Satan. That's what he's saying. Like, I'm not, this, this isn't me saying this. That's what he's saying. It's like Satan wants nothing more for you to think you're the center of the universe. I'm going to make decisions on the here and now. I'm going to make decisions. It feels good. I'm going to do it. That's how he wants us to make decisions. And look at what it produces. It produces chaos and compromise. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. What follows fake wisdom is chaos in our relationships and compromise in our integrity. He's saying there's fighting and division and drama and anger and people can't get along and there's compromise and no integrity. Everyone does what they feel in their own eyes is right. Now stop, look here a second. Fake wisdom in a marriage will destroy a marriage. Fake wisdom in a friendship will be a superficial friendship. Fake wisdom in a church allows Satan in. So I'm glad that James doesn't stop there, aren't you? Because he says there's such thing as real wisdom. Look what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. What in the world is real wisdom? He says it's first of all pure. I want you to write this down. Real wisdom has integrity. Real wisdom has integrity. There's a purity. And this word for purity speaks to being devoted to God. Here's what James is saying. That real wisdom is first and foremost committed to God. Real wisdom is committed in its relationship to God. It is committed and devoted to God. So some of you are like, okay, when we start talking about relationship with God, we get lost. So let's come over here for a second. And let's use a human illustration. Ready? I am committed to my wife, Jennifer. I'm devoted to Jennifer. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. If I'm committed to Jennifer, if I'm committed and devoted to my wife, it means she is my priority. Like I love you guys, right? I love you guys. My wife is my priority, okay? She is number one, A number one. Not only that, it's an exclusive relationship. That means my wife and I have a relationship, and in, in this relationship, others aren't invited into parts of that relationship. That's what it means. So it is, I'm devoted, she's my priority, it's exclusive, and here's the deal, it's ever-growing. So if I'm committed to her, the way we started out is not the way we are. We're better friends today. We're more in love today. We know each other better today. We're growing, and when something comes between us, and it does, as it did the other night. My wife and I got into a little spit spat. You can ask her. And uh, I was pretty sure I was right until I found out I was wrong, right? <laughs> Amen? None of y'all ever experienced that. And when something comes betwixt us like that, guess what? We're going to do whatever we do, clean the way. Guess what I said to her? I said, sweetheart, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you and what I said to you. I'm committed to her. I'm devoted to her. Bring that over to my relationship with God. He's my priority. He doesn't want to be a God among many gods. He wants to be God, ruler, king of my life. 
It is a growing relationship. As good as my relationship is today, I want it to be better next year this time. And when something gets between us, I don't want to minimize it. I want to clean the way. And so what he's saying is that, that wisdom, first and foremost, is committed to God. And then he gives this long list. Because real wisdom is committed to God and concerned for others. And then he gives this list that we have to go through. And I just want you to let the Bible read you. I'm going to race through it, but you need to stay with me. Look at what he says. He says, real wisdom is then peace-loving. What's he mean there? Real wisdom isn't always looking for a fight. Real wisdom isn't the person who comes into every conversation looking to stir the pot. Real wisdom isn't the person who comes and behind them, listen, behind them all the time there's drama. Can I get an amen in the room, right? Like real wisdom wants to keep peace where peace exists and wants to bring peace where there is no peace. And then he says this, real wisdom is considerate. It's a word that's translated in other places as gentle. Here's what it means, right? This is going to sound foreign to our culture's ears. Real wisdom is willing to surrender their rights for a higher purpose. Look here a second. This is so antithetical to our culture. Because we live in a culture right now where it feels like everybody's always offended because something, their rights are being... And sometimes it's valid. I got it. Don't, I get it. But it feels like everywhere you look, somebody's offended because, well, you're messing with mine. You're violating mine. James is saying real wisdom is willing to surrender their white rights for the sake of a higher purpose. It's the husband who's willing to surrender his rights for the sake of his wife. It's the wife who's willing to surrender her rights for the sake of her husband. It's the parents who are willing to surrender their rights for the sake of their family. Right? It's the friend who's willing to surrender their rights for the sake of their friend. He said, that's what real wisdom is. And with this word considerate, they consider others, is this idea, this is fascinating to me, that they're always prepared to see the best in others. Let that flesh its way out into your marriage, into your relationships. It made me think of a little prayer that I came across this last week, and I want to read it to you. It reminds me that every person that you and I see is fighting a battle we know nothing about. Real wisdom is considerate. Listen, God, help me remember that the jerk who cut me off last night is a single mom who worked nine hours that day and is rushing home to cook dinner, help with homework, do the laundry, and spend a few precious moments with her children. God, help me to remember that that pierced, tattooed, disinterested young man who can't make change correctly is actually a worried 19-year-old college student balancing his apprehension over final exams with fear that he's not going to get a loan for next semester. God, help me remember that the scary-looking bum begging for money in the same spot every day who really ought to get a job is actually a slave to addictions that I can't even imagine in my worst nightmares. God, help me remember that that old couple walking annoyingly slow through the store aisles, blocking my progress as I shop. They're actually an old couple that's savoring this moment, knowing that based on the biopsy report she got back last week, this will be their last year to shop together. You see, all James is saying is, is that real wisdom doesn't think the world revolves around me and it recognizes that everybody has a story and that everybody you and I meet they're fighting a battle we don't know about. It's considerate. And then look what he says. He says, real wisdom is submissive. Submissive. Here's what that word means. Ready? Open to reason. Able to take instruction. Coachable. Teachable. Let me ask you a question. Please don't answer out loud. Husbands in the room. If I were to bring your wives into my office and say, is your husband open to reason? When you have a discussion what would they say turnabout's fair play wives if i brought your husbands into my office and said is your wife when you're having a discussion open to reason are they willing to listen 
what would they say? You see, wisdom is open to reason, open to dialogue, able to take instruction. I'm just going to tell you guys something. I'm just going to share. I mean, doing this long enough, I guess I can share some stories. I get nervous, particularly when I have men come into my office. I talk to a lot of men. When I have young men come into my office and they can't keep a job, and the reason they can't keep a job, well, I worked for this guy and the boss was a jerk. So I got a job with this company. Guess what? The boss was a jerk. And so I got a job at this company. And guess what? The boss was a jerk. Eventually, brother, somewhere you got to see the common denominator, right? Right? If you can't say amen, say ouch. Because what James says is, I know what I'm doing. I had a young adult come to me and he said, my boss fired me. I said, why'd he fire you? Because I told him how he should run his business. I'm saying, brother, I'd have fired you too. You see what I'm saying? You see, James like, that's not wisdom. I knew how to run it better than he did. Wisdom's able to take instruction. And then he says this. He says, it's submissive, full of mercy and good fruits. He's simply saying this. Write this in your Bibles. It's full of forgiveness and kindness. Listen close. I really need you to dial in. Real wisdom is willing to show mercy and extend to somebody what they don't deserve. And forgive them. And then to give them what they didn't earn. Kindness. Some of you are sitting here and your marriage is struggling. And it's... And it, I, I may not even know about it. I may know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories. And everybody around you is telling you to leave them. And James is saying, why not give wisdom a chance? That wisdom somehow is full of mercy. Well, they'll get off the hook. Nah. When you forgive, guess what? You get off the hook. You get off the hook of bitterness and resentment. See how that works? And then he says this, it's impartial. It's this idea of truth. Here's how I would say it. Real wisdom has this ability to blend grace and truth together. You ever meet somebody, they're all about truth. I'm just about the rules, but no relationship, right? It's like, no, no, wisdom can take truth and grace and bring it together. And then he says it's sincere. What you see in public is who you see in private. And he says, when I have real wisdom, it shows up in a beautiful life that somehow impacts relationships. Which begs the question, we're done. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, look at what he says, verse 17. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven. He said, this wisdom somehow comes from heaven. Well, how do I get this wisdom from heaven? Three ways. I want you to write them down. First, real wisdom comes by asking God for it. James 1.5, he simply says this, that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When you ask, don't doubt. What's he saying there? He's saying, if you don't know what to do, ask God. He wrote that verse right after he said, you're going to face trials. Look, look here, I'm going to tell you something. It's not fun. You're not going to like it. You're going to have to come to church for this. Real wisdom, real wisdom is forged in the furnace of tough times. Real wisdom is forged in the furnace of tough times when I'm facing something that is beyond my ability to bear and all I know to do is run into the presence of God and say, help. I don't know how to do this. Real wisdom is forged in the dark valleys. Real wisdom shows up in the lives of people who navigate difficult situations. I had a, didn't share this last service, but I've always enjoyed working with young guys in ministry, interns and young pastors. And the last church I was at, I worked with several interns, and I would give them opportunity to, to preach and to speak. And we'd work on how they did sermons and things like that. <clears throat> and I had a young man who, who I love, and he was, it was his first time going to preach, so he got his passage, and he would come in, and he would talk me through his passage. And he had 
everything polished just right. He had diagrammed all the sentences, had all the commentaries, and he did the good work, right? But it sounded like a presentation. And he's going to get up and tell people what the Bible said, and he was going to word, you know, all this, that, and the other thing. And, and, and I said to him, I said, this is great stuff. It's true. It's real. I said, ask God to rub it into your heart. Ask God to make it real. Well, he was scheduled to preach a month from that meeting. And somewhere in that month, he and his wife went to the doctor. And he found out at that doctor's appointment that he would never be able to have their own biological children. And he walked into my office in absolute mess. I watched that young man preach, and I will never forget his sermon. It didn't have the structure it had when he first showed up. It didn't have all of the polish it had when he first showed up. It had power. It had power. He had walked through the dark valley. He had walked through the furnace. And when I don't know what to do, I go to a God and I say, help me, give me wisdom. This is hard. Not only that, but Jesus says this. He says in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. The rain comes and the floods rise and they beat against it. The house isn't going to fall. Verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds their house on the sand, when the rain comes and the winds beat against the house, it's, it will collapse like a mighty crash. Where's real wisdom come from? I want you to write this down. Real wisdom comes by listening to the Word of God. Now listen, I've I got to talk to you. I've got to talk to you about this. Real wisdom comes by allowing myself, first and foremost, to hear what God says. If I don't take the time to hear what God says, it's as though I'm saying, I got this because I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I got to take the time to hear what God says. But now listen, not everybody who hears what God says listens to what God says. What James is saying is listening is hearing it. I got to start there and then listening. I got to obey. I'll share a, a, a little opinion with you. So I've been doing this 25 years, and some people that have been in church for a long time, one of, the, one of the things they'll say is, I just am looking for another Bible study. I want to go deeper. I want to get deep. I'm just going to warn you. People would like come and tell me that. It's like warning signs go off in my head. Because here's what I will tell you. If I read this right, worth writing down, you're only as deep as your obedience. And if you want to go deeper... Some of us, what we need to do is go look at what we know and begin obeying what we already know. That's what he's saying. See, that's real wisdom. I need to hear and listen. But then he says something. This is where we're going to end. He says something very fascinating. I have to show you in Colossians. He says, I want you all to be encouraged, Grace Church. Knit together strong ties of love. I want you to have complete confidence that you may understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In Jesus lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And now just as you accepted Jesus, said yes to Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. High-sounding nonsense come from human thinking, from spiritual powers of this world, rather from Christ. Real wisdom comes from following the word that is Christ. It's following Jesus. That's where real wisdom is found in Jesus. Real wisdom is found in my relationship with Jesus, growing in my relationship with Jesus, following Jesus, looking for Jesus, hearing Jesus. I can be peaceable with the people in my life because in Jesus I can have peace with God. I can be considerate with the people in my life because in Jesus God considered me. I don't have to demand my rights with the people in my life because in Jesus God set aside his rights for me. See how that works? 
See, the secret to real wisdom is found in some words John the Baptist said. If you want to know where real wisdom lies, here it is. You ready? Less of me and more of him. Less of me and more of him. And what he says is when there's less of me and more of him, all of a sudden, real wisdom begins to show up. And he says that real wisdom that shows up, shows up in peacemakers, verse 18, who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, real wisdom will produce peace and righteousness. It'll produce a beautiful life that somehow isn't filled with drama and division and fighting and jealousy and all this stuff, but a beautiful life that somehow is able to leave a lasting impact on the relationships it has with others. And so, God, I need to be done. And yet, although I need to be done, you have so much more to say. So I pray that this would just be the beginning of the conversation you want to have with us. And God, my prayer is is that we'd be a people of real wisdom. And as you're sitting here, and before I just close in prayer with your eyes closed, heads bowed, just take two minutes here and look inside your life. And what do you see? Is there a beautiful life that impacts others? Listen, there's nothing to be gained. Nothing to be gained by not being honest with what you see right now. Or do you see a self-absorbed life that somehow has bought into making decisions in the moment based on how you feel, listening to someone you didn't know you were listening to? Do you look behind your life and see chaos and disorder and fighting and bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? James' invitation is to point you to his half-brother Jesus and say, in him lie all the mysteries of wisdom And when Jesus begins to fill my life, it impacts all of my relationships, my marriage. Imagine a beautiful life that leaves a lasting impact on my wife, my husband, my children, my employees, my fellow workers, my team, my friends, our group, this church, our community. Imagine it in the world. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to somehow expose and acknowledge the fake wisdom that many times we've allowed ourselves to listen to. And that literally in this space, there would be more of Jesus, less of us, more of Jesus, less of us, more of Jesus. And that we would be a beautiful orchard that leaves a lasting impact on all the relationships we have the opportunity to have. Thanks for giving us this practical sometimes hard-hitting conversation today. I pray that you'd help us to run home with it. I pray this in Jesus' name.